Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy our interviews. This week, we got to spend some time with the wonderful and multi-talented Laura Gomez. I hope that you enjoy our interview. I will say the name of my podcast, just to plug it in here. Yes, please. So it's going to be difficult for English speakers. It's called Baraja Eso. So Baraja is Uh B-A-R-A-J-A. Uh-huh. Eso. Again, it's a Spanish name and we're going to have one English episode per month. And I, our first one was with Piper Perman, author of the memoir of Orange is Me Black. <gasps> and uh, mm-hmm. next month we have, not the next month, this month, we're going to have Stacey Ann Chin, who is a Jamaican poet and gay activist and amazing human. Oh my gosh. And yeah. So I'm very excited about this, the guests we're having in English. I was going to say, I was like, one, those guests are amazing. And two, I was like, I'm going to recommend your podcast to my friends who also speak Spanish as well, so that uh, oh, then please. I selfishly can have them translate. So I know. <laughs> yes, please. So, people who speak Spanish here, the podcast is Baraja Eso. Baraja Eso. There you go. Yeah, that was really good. Thanks. <laughs> because the Dominican term that means just change the subject. Let's just change course of things mm. it would be a, an idea of evolution let's evolve on an idea <laughs> oh my gosh I could not possibly love that more I was like yeah. change there's <laughs> there's a so, quote from Octavia Butler that changes God and I was like oh. it's all new all this vo- do-it-yourself <laughs> type of world where I'm both, you know, you're, we are all the things at the same time. Right now I'm auditioning from home. And of course I have to have a lighting set and voiceover yeah. set, and you have to be a DP and an editor. <laughs> it's really oh my sharpening my, my filmmaking skills for sure. That's, it's so funny. Cause like my first question was going to be like, so what have you been doing? And I'm like, well, that you've been, you've been doing everything. <laughs> you've been doing quite literally everything. You mean you or us or the world? Well, it's funny because like before, like in the before times, I would ask people like, oh, what is it you do? Like to explain to guests. And now it's kind of like, like been a real free for all. Um, Everything has changed. And now it's like, in a way, everything slowed down, but everything sped up. Like, strangely. (laughs) Yes, that is true. Um, True. So yeah, that's where we are in the multitasking jack of all trades type of world. Although that's not new for me. I'm sure it's not new for you either. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. My producer was telling me about like, she was basically just listing the different things that you do. And I was like, oh my God, like, I don't even know what she talked about first. These are all so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can get into them because I apparently it fits your podcast really well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Because like the whole idea is like, you know, that oftentimes we're told that like you should only do one thing or like there's like one true passion or things like that. But most people, um, most people actually have multiple things that they're interested in. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's the world we live in anymore where we do one thing. I don't think that's even possible, especially in this. They say post pandemic. I think we're still in it. But you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, evolving through the pandemic, the pandemia, uh, whatever. I can't even I've been, I've been calling it like the pandemic lull, where it's like there are these like phases where things are a little more chill. Yeah, I, I, it's not like over. It's like 
until yeah. people are vaccinated and there stops being all the mutations and whatnot. It's like, no, this is, this is a lull. And there are people in the world who it's not a lull. Um, <laughs> have you been in and we're just going to coexist with it. That's basically it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, I have the feeling it'll become more kind of like, you know, we, we do live with the flu. We know yeah. how to have flu vaccines now, and, you know, we live with it and it's just like, okay, here's yeah. this, here's this novel thing that we're going to figure out how to live with. Exactly. It knocks us off. And then we continue, <laughs> we step out of it somehow. Yep. Yeah, so I, I haven't had a flu in over a year though. So, um, I mean, not, not even a cold. So that's, that's partly because of what we've living, we've lived through. Yes. I was like, knock wood. I have not either. Like I have had allergies cause I'm like allergic to everything, but like, yeah. aside from that, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that's norm, but <laughs> I traveled recently and I was like, um, how come I had never worn, a mask on a, in a plane before this is the way to travel <laughs> yes. you know I never not had a cold coming out of a plane yeah. I think that's an, I think that, I'm gonna keep it like that for life that's it I, yes that's that's so funny you mentioned that I haven't been on a plane yet I um I was thinking of flying to visit some friends in Iceland um Ooh. yes it's like my favorite place in the world um and like it was interesting because I was thinking about the last time I flew there how when I got off the plane I felt like gross because I'd been on a plane but then like breathing the fresh air there it kind of revived me uh yeah. but I was like what if I didn't feel gross on a plane and I thought about that I was like I wonder if I wear my mask on the plane which of course I will will I actually like step off the plane and feel gross or will I actually like feel like a normal person <laughs> oh, I think it, it was it was fine it, it's fine it, we're getting there you know definitely um the vaccine thing helps yes cure and whatnot but I, I felt pretty pretty good I'm a, I was a little freaked out in New York uh because I hadn't I hadn't traveled in a year and I was out of the country since yeah. uh since September I left New York for the first time, and meaning like I left New York. I, New York had, had been my city for 20 years. Whoa. Yes. So it, that was strange. And I was, I've been in Santo Domingo for all those 10 months. And um, mm-hmm. I, thought it, I thought it'd be fine, but it was a little shocking to not wear a mask, you know, because New York mm-hmm. are all pretty much all vaccinated and not wearing a mask and I was like I'm not there yet <laughs> yeah, it's like it's almost like we've been trained that this you know people's faces normally we see them um yeah. but then for for a long time it's like wearing a mask was a sign of safety and of respect and things like that and to all of a sudden not it's like too sudden of a shock to the system yeah it's you know it's constant evolution that's what it is so <sighs> It's interesting. It's interesting. I, I also have my most New York moment ever not living in New York anymore. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> not permanently anyway. I saw Fran Levowitz. <gasps> yeah. Oh um, at the corner of 42nd and what was it? I think it was 43rd and 6th. And, and she was not wearing a mask. And I realized later that I was because I was just coming out of the train station, the subway. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And she looked at me like a freak. Ah! <laughs> it, 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 you know, I, I don't know. I'm probably projecting because I was, oh my God, it's front low. Do I talk to her? Do I not? And I just, I wasn't gonna, but I said something. I said, thank you. You know, you're wonderful. Oh. Granted, I know her from before the documentary. Like, I've known her work for. I mean, any New Yorker knows her. Yeah. Um, and she was like, thank you. Do you know what time it is? <laughs> okay. That's my, please don't speak to me. Uh, and you have a mask on and no. Oh my and God. With Fran Levitz. Oh, that's so oh. New York. I love it. <laughs> I will treasure forever, I guess. Thank you. What time is it? <laughs> thank you. What time is it? You have the time. 
because I had a cell phone and I'm like oh right she doesn't have a cell phone and I have I'm listening to music on my why did I speak to her I went through all those emotions I'm like oh come on just snap out of it oh my gosh you know what I'm glad that you spoke to her because that's a treasure that's like such a that's such a good moment that like just the the New York nonchalance of being like, thanks. So anyway, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of regretted it the moment I did it, but then I said snap out of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, yeah. it's so interesting. Cause you touched on something that I feel like is a cultural difference, even between Los Angeles and New York. What is I, it? Well, I was thinking when you saw Fran Lebowitz, I was just like, oh my gosh, she's like, you know, the patron saint of New York. It's almost like when I, whenever I see Angeline here, like whenever I see her pink car or like her on the street, I get so excited. It's like, I've seen like the mascot of my city. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, it's you. Um, And she like loves to take photographs of people. Like she loves to, like she clearly, she loves the attention. That's the whole thing is like, she loves that she was the first person who pioneered being famous for being famous. Like that's the whole thing. not for, that's a good New Yorker. <laughs> a good New Yorker, she completely feel. I think she feels disdain for it. Like, oh, why am I famous? I don't. I can't stand it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Of yeah. course, the person in LA. Of course, he would. You know, that person would. That's love it. so funny. Is it's like, and there is a culture of. I would say, like, people who are famous here. They there's very much a culture of just treat everybody like a person. You just you know you be chill but like it's it's actually it's kind of looked down upon for relatively at least what I've observed growing up here it's kind of looked down upon if famous people don't just chill with people like if they did that if they acted kind of like almost you know like why are you speaking to me just tell me the time oh plebeian with a cell phone like people would be like oh there's no snobby what's their deal like everyone (laughs) I do think uh cities have personality I think New York would be the place to just leave me alone. I'm having a moment by myself. Yes. And, and, and there's kind of an, an agreement, an invisible agreement that that's how it is. And, and in, in fact, you know, I didn't ask for a photo. I didn't ask for, you just say hello and thank you. And I saw people say the same. She was nice enough to say thank you. What right. Time? right. Anyway, that was our New York moment. 20 years in New York, that never happened to me. And yet just leave <laughs> to have a New York moment. That's... Oh my God. I was like, that's precious. And I'm, I'm so curious. The other thing that struck me when you said that is like, given also that, like you just said, cities have personalities and that informs really who we are. And it's like, what was that like? You said that it's like, New York isn't your permanent city anymore. And I'm like, that, that's a huge thing. Like that's a huge difference in identity where you're like, is this my city or was this my city? It's, Absolutely. And you just said the key word there, which is identity. I, I've been, um, this has been a time of search, of course, I think for the world and, and whoever is taking the time and the opportunity that, see, I even forgot the word pandemic at the beginning. I said pandemia because that's the word in Spanish. Yes. <laughs> oh, forgetting English already. Geez. Um, <laughs> so it has been, um, I had my identity so tied to New York for 20 years. It was, we were in a relationship, a marriage, I call it. Mm -hmm. But I think for the last four years, it had been like, it was going south and we knew it. Literally, it felt like a 20 year marriage that's not working. And you're not, you know, who's going to take the step? Who's going to? yeah not here (laughs) and then we were forced by life to make the decision and the irony is I was actually in LA at the beginning of 2020 whoa I had taken a break from New York because I needed to go right and I said okay I I need to be isolated for a minute Mm -hmm. and I guess the universe took it too literal (laughs) I just meant me for like a month. Legit. Not the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had taken that break one because I, I did, um, I was in the process of writing a screenplay and I kind of needed the isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, New York is just too hectic, too busy all the time. Yes. Um, there was no way 
to sit down and not have a text or a phone call. Hey, what are you up to? We're here at the bar. Or we're here at the museum. Or we're going to watch a movie or a play. Right. One of the distractions. So I went to LA also because I had been in that um, confusing times of whether I wanted to stay in New York or not. I'm mm. feeling that is my place after 20 years in a city that that I love, but I'm, I'm it's kind of, it felt like it had um, fulfilled a cycle, you know? Yes, yes. And, and so the pandemic came while I was in LA. I had to be there for two months or three, I think, three months. Wow. Oh, gosh. And um, because also I couldn't go back to New York because as I was in LA, I found out I had bed bugs in my house. <gasps> Yes. So ironically, it was not the pandemic per se. It was the fact that I had bed bugs. And it was like, if you were just thinking for a minute <laughs> to consider not to have this breakup, I'll take care of it. That's Here's your sign. Here's your very, that's. Here's the sign. Yeah. That is, that is uncanny because that was actually the beginning of my pandemic too, was a uh, uh, bed bugs. Not, not for me, thankfully, but uh my group of friends that we tend to co-work together on creative projects and um, two of them that live together had bed bugs. Um, and so we were helping them clean their house and fumigate and, and they were staying at mine. And like, so it was four friends all together. Wow. Uh, and the news came about the pandemic and we were just like, well, we've been like all up in each other's faces basically for the last few weeks. So either we all have it or like none of us have it. <laughs> like we're like, but we we should stick together as a team. And so for a few months, like when LA went into lockdown, um, those were the only people I saw uh, because we just oh. potted together. But yeah, it was literally because of bed bugs. <laughs> but I didn't know you had a, I mean, so funny, both um, sides of the, of the country dealing with this issue. I have a extreme panic now about it. Like I, 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 I just, I'm traumatized oh. by this information expectation and I'm, I'm like oh this is worse than the virus at the time I thought that then I realized oh no it's not but you know what I mean like yeah at, at that time where things were in that extreme I really thought that having bed bugs was <laughs> the worst thing that ever happened to me I mean we had the same thought where we're like what could be worse than like being driven from your home by the plague and then it was like oh my god we're all being driven either from our home or into only our home by the plague <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> I had a double sign that it was time to break up with my city of 20 years and oh. uh, it wasn't planned uh per se but it had been in my mind I didn't know where I would go mm -hmm. but my parents had the freaking virus at the beginning of the whole <gasps> thing yeah oh my god while I was in LA oh no oh so I I was going through so many things and my first instinct was that I have to go home I have to go to the yeah. New Republic as soon as I can so what I did was I went to New York packed everything threw away half my things because of course bed bugs right right and <laughs> like light everything on fire just leave it <laughs> just <laughs> I mean, put notes and said, don't take it. This has bed bugs. And, uh -huh. um, oh my God. And, and then I, I, I sent my life in eight boxes, the Dominican Republic. And, wow. Yeah. And I traveled there. Wow. And I've been there since September. Um, not in traditional terms, which is good. I could never be there, like, you know, be setting up camp at the capital or anything because I, I just don't fit in too much mm. um but kind of in my terms mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. has been interesting uh I spent a lot of time uh, at the beach <laughs> <laughs> not too shabby I mean that sounds like one beautiful but also I was so curious like one how did you feel going back after you had broken up with your city so now you're like okay like we're officially broken up but it's almost like one returning to the place that's that hasn't been your city and hasn't right. been your space for like right. 20 years and also I was like how are your parents like the Jewish mom and me is like oh my god are your parents okay <laughs> my parents are great uh today well as we're recording because this is not going to come out today but today as we record 
it's their 43rd anniversary wedding anniversary. and they set the bar very high because they still dance you know cheek to cheek and I'm like oh gosh oh, I'm never gonna find that I can't. <laughs> I'm single for life and my parents are like oh I know you know they like each other which is more important than loving each other I think that's rare quite honestly like seeing okay. couples that like really truly delight in each other is just like it's so precious oh it's like ugh. <laughs> no it's great it really is and they're doing really well they had the plague badly mm. also not a lot of information at the beginning yeah um but but they they passed it through they they survived and they're great oh, and so it's been interesting that. to be back after because I, I had always been back my family's in the Dominican Republic so I've never not been there some way or another, but of course, a few weeks at a time and then back home yeah. in New York. So now it's the opposite. I'm like, oh, I was in DR for 10 months. Now I'm back home to New York. <laughs> it, it's, it's, still, it's still up in the air. It's still like a marriage that ended, but I came back to New York feeling like, yeah, I'm sorry. We were married for 20 years. I'm not going to ask permission to go into the kitchen, you know? Right. You're just like, it's, we have this comfort level with each other, even though our yeah. relationship is not the same. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So we are entering um, amicable terms and an amicable relationship. Mm -hmm. I don't feel I'm, I'm married to DR. I feel like I'm exploring mm -hmm. and, and seeing what happens. And while doing that, I'm at the beach a lot. There we go. There we go. I was like, that's a good place to be in that like liminal space between cities when you're like, okay, I'm going to court some different places. Um, but I'm going to, you know, have my rest and relaxation at the beach. <laughs> yeah. It's been a challenge at times because I've had to spend a lot of times at my parents, which is great, but also, you know, you're suddenly 14 again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm 41, you know, going to 14 what's what's happening here oh it's it's a baffling experience like I like I said I was potted with my friends but um my parents do live in in Los Angeles and uh the reason I didn't pod with them was literally only that is like I I said to both of them I was just like we have such a good relationship because we don't live in the same house oh yeah like, when we live in the same house I was like and I know some of it's on me. It's like, I become more like, kind of like a sulky teenager. Like, I'm like, give me my space, leave me alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's literally all on me. I mean, I take full responsibility for the dysfunctional dynamic that happens when we are living together. I fully, um, <laughs> or at least 90%. That is I so funny. Say, yeah, especially when you've lived alone for, I am a very independent creature like it's yes. kind of annoying um I I sometimes I have this little monster and that monster needs to be alone and doesn't want to talk to anybody and so having human interactions is like I in my mind's like don't be rude come on don't be why don't bother me I'm alone <laughs> like, oh there there yep there she comes there it goes. Yep. That's my, my friends say that I have a cat like temperament for that reason is that like, I, for the most part will want to be alone doing my thing. And then I'm like, yeah. pay attention to me, but like from over there. Well, you just described it as well. We are the same. Um, I'm a, I'm a cat lady for a reason because I have a cat person. I, I understand them so well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What's wrong with wanting their independence and, you know, scratching people when they want to, touch, they want to be touched. I give a warning hiss. I give a warning hiss before I, I catch. <laughs> I, do, I do too. And I find it very responsible and, you know, not kind, but certainly respectable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. That is so funny. Cause I can imagine like during this time, how did all of that affect the things that you're creating? Because that was a very unique experience talking to fellow creatives during this to be like, what in the heck is going on? We're in these weird places. It's disrupted all of our routines. Like, yeah. what was that like for you? Because you have been creating a lot. It, for me, it has been a source of creativity. I can't, I, I it saved me from myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, creating, 
saved me during the pandemic because I did spend a lot of time alone and I had already isolated myself previously to write the screenplay, mm-hmm. but I was in that space already. Like I wanted it. So when, first of all, I live alone and I know how to be alone. So it wasn't something that challenged me tremendously. Right. It was welcome. I'm like, okay, here, here you are. You know, I think I have more anxiety over my parents' health yeah. far away than for myself. Yeah. Um, and I did have uh, a little bit like you, my aunt who was in LA from London was with her aunt. She was between her aunt and myself. Like she was mm-hmm. migrating from one apartment to another. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did have some company some yeah. days and then she would be gone and I had my alone time. So, um, but aside from that, it's been interesting because I find that the challenges that this presented I was able to canalize through writing Mm. Um, and I've had a lot of anxiety over my acting career Mm. which which was or is or has been (laughs) (laughs) uh, a psychological breakthrough you know it it has been teaching me so much about many things about myself and life Mm -hmm. so as much as it has been challenging I've learn to kind of accept what it's teaching me so among other things I lost a job back in November mm-hmm. for a series um in a Netflix series and I was like so excited finally to get a job after so long you know not only the pandemic but before I had I hadn't worked in a long time and and then I lost it because because of quarantine mm. you know there was some error in production and I didn't have wasn't given them enough time to make it on time. And I lost, I just, mm. just like that, lost the job. And that was intense to say yeah. the least. Uh, I, I was depressed for like, I think a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I allowed myself to feel it, and, and which is the important thing. Yes, yes. And instead of hiding it, like, no, I'm fine. I'm like, I told everybody, I'm not fine. I, I'm not fine. I haven't worked in forever. This was a great opportunity and I lost it and I'm not fine. And, and so that, the my podcast was born from that. Oh. Because I felt, so there's something you can't control as many more things in your career. Because there's, I, the only control I have is the work that I send. And then once I send it, let's say an audition, mm-hmm. I don't know what happens after that. I don't know, you know, whether my weight or my height or my my age play a role in not getting something so and I can't control any of that right so I said what can you do well I can control what I create you know when I take out to the mm-hmm. world to the world and so um I had this idea about a podcast that I could do in my native language for a change I love that keep going <laughs> you know because there's so many podcasts nowadays and I am a podcast aficionado I've been for years um and I can't believe it this never occurred to me but you know that happens when you're busy so I was in a tv show right <laughs> a job um and I didn't have to create anything because I was I, I had a job hey <laughs> right. you're like I'm already, I'm already involved in all of these collaborative projects Exactly. So I was already involved in things, but the moment this, this void came, um, the need to survive it came as well. And so it was through the creating of this and the idea of doing it in English did come, but I I thought I'm going to be one more in a race of so many. What can I do that is different? Right. And said, well, you know, there's not as competitive a, a feel in Spanish. Um, it's, it's a little bit green, a little bit more virgin, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's many now. Uh, but also it could connect me with that part of my life. And I could bring conversations that, are, that I know I've been having for years, mm-hmm. but are not as often um, discussed in Latin America or in the Hispanic you know, world. Mm-hmm. And so 
And so that's what we did. And we've had conversations with, I had a conversation with a trans friend of mine, she's from Argentina. And we had this beautiful engagement about her entire life, you know, and from being um, in prostitution and drugs in Argentina to becoming a trans woman activist in New York. Wow. Yeah. And, and that was beautiful to have in Spanish because it's such a taboo in, in my country for sure. In, yeah. In yeah. Yeah. And so I created that with, with just let me say one episode in English. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to lose that wonderful um, audience that I have and all these wonderful um, relationships I have in the English speaking world. So I decided I would do one English episode per month all mm-hmm. mm-hmm. of the rest in Spanish. And that's a new project that came from losing something else. <laughs> that's, I mean, nature abhors a vacuum. So I was like, that's like spot on. <laughs> it's like whenever people are like, oh, well, how do I make something happen? I'm like, you have to make the space for it. Like if there's no space for, you know, those ideas and that stuff to come, it, it's yeah. it's not going to arrive yet because you haven't made space for it. It's like you have to be uncomfortable a bit to like let something come in. I think that's the key. I think it's allowing yourself to be uncomfortable and and letting it show you what it has to show you. Um, you know, like, I loved that you actually did disclose to people that you weren't okay. I was like, not that I I, I feel bad that you weren't okay, but I'm glad oh, you're okay. honest about it. <laughs> like, I, I did. I told everybody. I I, I didn't pretend. Um, that's one thing that happened. Like I, it's uncomfortable because you don't want to let your parents see you, you know, down. There's that thing. I think it comes both ways, right? They don't want to see you and that you don't want to see them not being okay. Yeah. Um, but it, but it was a moment of, of um, bonding for us because I told him, look, I'm not going to pretend that this didn't hit me hard. Yeah. Um, I told everybody around me. Um, and, and so that I could be in my mood without feeling like I was hurting someone's feelings or being at some moment, maybe trying so hard to be okay. And then biting Mm. someone (laughs) (laughs) who didn't serve it. Yes. It's more authentic because also then you're interacting with people in like, I think it's Brene Brown, who's researched a lot on like shame and vulnerability. It's like, that's an appropriate level of vulnerability where it's like you are putting yourself out there by letting people see where you're actually at. So then you can actually have the interactions that, you know, are going to actually foster closeness and connection as opposed to like you said, you're like, I don't want to accidentally bite someone or pretend that I'm okay. <laughs> like, I, I, I also um, think there's a moment where you have to use all the skills that you've learned, right? So I, I did sit down with myself. Like I closed the door. I told them I'm not okay. So I think I, I was in my room for like, 72 hours or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And granted, I'm not there all the time, but I was there at the time a lot because mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a space to be yet. And I did, I did have to like go through it myself. I, I do have a therapist who helped me through all of this, you know? Awesome. And yeah. And, and so we, we discussed it because I've also had been I've been dealing for many years with insomnia, but I had finally had it under control throughout the summer. <laughs> I was making all these changes that I needed to make and, and kind of being proactive about what I wanted, or at least proactive about not doing what I didn't want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, this comes and my insomnia kicked in again. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, things that, that it has taught me, it's like, oh, it's, this is a manifestation of anxiety. And of course, I'm, I just lost a job. I haven't worked in forever. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really on my feet yet. And, and, and so I did, like I said, I did feel my feelings. You know, I did watch episodes of things that make me happy and not Yes. In my case, curb your enthusiasm. <laughs> Some sex in the city here and there. Lots of independent movies that I love that are usually things like that's depressing. Well, don't make me, you know, this is how I make this makes me happy to see other people depressed makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah that, in movies in yep. movies not in real life but in movies you know um in in movies it, I just feel less alone yes that's the value of like sad sad art when people are like oh my gosh that song is so depressing and I was like yeah it's great yes. <laughs> yeah. give me some pot solens when I'm depressed you know uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you're like make it dark make it darker yeah. um, and again I I think it really did help to to um make that creativity come back at some point yeah. to, save me, to save me from from myself and from my blues and all that um so it all comes in waves and comes and goes and it has been for the most part a wonderful lesson Yes. And a challenging one, of course. I love what you said also about that the conversations you're having are ones that normally might not occur. And also that when you said that your choice to, you know, do it in Spanish, I was like, there's such a difference when you return to a different language. Like, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I, I've talked to people who I sadly am not fully fluent in languages that aren't English, which is such a bummer. I have like a smattering of different languages in my head. Um, <laughs> but I think about how different it is when you're expressing yourself, for instance, in a language that you spoke in your childhood, or a language that speaks more to your emotions, or a language that speaks more to you, your cognitions and to your experience later in life, like languages can have different implications and also how you express yourself in those languages is gonna be very different. It's very different, but also um, coming from such a liberal city like New York and finding, oh my God, I've been living in such a bubble for so long, which I've always been aware of, you know, I created it. <laughs> yes. um, I love my country, it's, it's a beautiful country and and there's um, very good people, but there's also a lot of um, backward shit that's um, not right, you know, like we're still fighting for exceptions in the abortion case, in abortion cases. Wow. Abortion is forbidden in all cases. Wow. No matter what, a woman is punished. And we just went back in time a week ago regarding some uh, homophobia stuff and, and, and Congress. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And so it's been interesting like that way also because I have more of such a, I've always been like this, but now living in New York for 20 years, my perspective is so liberal, you know, it's so mm -hmm. open. Mm -hmm. And and so diverse, and so I feel in a way that I'm bringing something to my country back, you know, mm. um, that that because liberal people are, are there too, but there we are way more isolated, right. right? And so one thing that I've learned through my work and through the arts and through living in New York, you know, surrounded by by artists for so long, is that talking make us feel less alone. Yes. And so this podcast that I'm doing, as well as a column that I'm writing over there in a, in a newspaper, um, which is about me. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, it's called Laura Gomez Personal, Personal in Spanish. And uh, it was supposed to be light and just let me tell you what it is to be a single woman coming from New York and whatever. And and now I'm like, oh, and also let me tell you what I think about homophobia. And let me tell you what I think about you taking my rights as a woman. Bingo. Yeah. And F you. Um, yep. And we're not going to have it. And, and so it kind of, it, it has been very interesting. Yes. Uh, because it's not preaching to the choir here. It's like, how do I have these discussions in a way that hopefully a few people can also listen, you know? I like that you framed it as a discussion because I think that that's something that is often lacking. And even in American culture, there's oh, yeah. a distinct lack of uh, conversation and discourse. It's more just like, maybe if I yell at you really loudly, um, then like I'll get my point across. And I was just like, surprisingly, I don't think anyone has ever made their point clear by, by yelling. Yeah, I think that's one of the beautiful things of this process is that I used to yell a lot because I was angry and I was younger and, and that's totally understandable that, that you have all these frustrations. And, but then if I've matured, um, it, it's interesting to, to channel that anger mm -hmm. and 
it, it does affect me. It does affect me. And of course I need therapy for it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we're very pro therapy here. She says, yes. therapist. I am so much. Um, but, but I have found, uh, that, that exactly what you're saying, that the dialogue demands more from me as well. You know, it demands understanding and some compassion even mm-hmm. from my own country. Um, and, and I, again, I don't want to preach to the choir. Right. That's New York. I already have that. So I can always bounce back there when I need some support. But here, you know, again, there, the liberal people that, and there are many, are not, are way more isolated. So I think it's a way of calling each other, but also trying to those in the middle tell you, like, look, we're not trying to threaten you here. Right. We're trying to find middle ground, you know? Right. And we may never understand each other, but can we respect each other? Can we have a conversation about what it is to be gay that maybe you don't understand? Yeah. Can I, so I wrote a piece last week about being an ally and why? And, oh. and, and, and that was, that's, that's been beautiful in a way. That's one of the gifts that this challenge has brought. <laughs> I was going to say, and being able to express yourself within that's, it's just fascinating to me the way that you highlighted the different cultures of being like in the liberal bubble of New York. And similarly, like, I very much feel that in LA yeah. um, and then being like, okay, I'm in the Dominican Republic. And this is, I mean, it is you as well, but it's a very different part of you. And it's like returning oh. to that part of you and being like, what can I bring back? How can I find middle ground? How can I express myself in a way that other people will have a dialogue and maybe think about things differently? Like not attacking people, just be like, hey, have you considered it from this angle? <laughs> It, it, it informed a lot of my processing of, let's say, Trump era, you know? Yeah. Um, I was very angry, as everybody was, but I always, I wasn't one of those people demonizing Trumpists I, or Trump people. I thought, where is it coming from, you know, mm-hmm. rather than fuck everybody. I'm like, how about we, we find out what what the source of this frustration is? How about we also criticize our side how about we check in as to the system what the system is doing uh instead of um putting all blame on one person because i don't believe in that no uh, but that that comes from my experience in my own country like where is this coming from yeah and and also um it informs a little bit as to how naive we can be also sometimes in our bubbles yes and and how much all this anger all this cancel culture stuff i'm i don't really i'm not into it much um even if it's not, not the people i even if it's people i don't like a lot and there's oh my god i'm so glad you're bringing this up i feel so similarly I think, and i think it's it's very necessary to have these conversations and to evolve and and i think i there's a lot that i that I appreciate. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the anger. I appreciate the call to action, you know, the, the listening to me because I'm talking and you haven't heard me in, you know, a whole existence. Yes. So I, I do support that. And I do think that there's much that needs to change in our society in terms of behavior, especially toxic masculinity and all that bullshit. Yeah. But but how we're going about it in terms of, listen, this has existed as a system where we women participate as well um, and perpetuate. And the reason I say this is because I, in my country, is, it's, it's so clear, you know, and, and we are not where the U.S. is in, in those terms. Yeah. And, and so some things that seem... Uh, progressive for us in, in my countries for people could be threatening and so I'm in this place where I'm trying to translate so I, I act as a translator a lot in terms of social oh my gosh stuff I can imagine and so I'm very patient with change I guess that's um, a good way to be because especially highlighting change itself like because for me, at least, and I don't know about you, but like for me, kind of the opposite of cancel culture is like accountability <laughs> where it's like talk to someone about like what's going wrong. And of course, if that person continues to do something that's disrespectful, like, yeah, you don't 
you know, you don't spend time with that person or you don't recommend that people work with that person. But and if- that's another thing. That's, that's a, di- I mean, that's a very different thing because that's completely valid. I think, I think it's very valid to have limits. Yes. Uh, professional and personal. Um, if person, if people don't evolve, yeah. they're, they're out of my life. I mean, you, you're, I'm sorry, you're out. I'm evolving. You're not evolving with me. That happens even in a relationship with a partner or with a city. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking where I was just like, it sounds like in a way you evolved past New York, just like we're talking about how people like at the very least, you have to give them a chance to evolve. You have to communicate, you know, like instead of just this polarized, like good, bad, right, wrong, like all this stuff, it's like at least give people the chance to. I think we're, we're, it's it's an interesting time, I think. And, you know, I go back and forth about it. Sometimes I'm, I'm distressed about it. Sometimes I'm, I'm excited about it because it's definitely a time of evolution. We are in a time of change. Something is changing we are learning new set of rules and many of us have resisted and some of us are moving forward with the changes and some are staying behind and but the truth is i think this generation the younger generation as much as they want things to happen very quickly they are also way more tolerant than yes probably my generation and above Uh, and sometimes i joke about it because um with my friends, especially with like, and I'm going to generalize here, like, uh, like crazy. It's like, oh, Latino man, it drives me crazy because we're so behind. Come on. I can't date a Latino my age because they're like living in the 1940s. Yep. And, and, and of course, let me very clearly, there are exceptions to the rule. <laughs> but the truth is that there's a reason for that. It's generational and there's, um, some sort of resistance to, to certain changes. And I think um, changes are taken easier when, when it's individually, but collectively we're still going through the resistance of it. Yes, it's almost like watching, uh, it's like watching a temper tantrum because someone doesn't want to change. It's an, inter- it's an interesting time for um, introspection. You know, it's yeah. an opportunity for introspection if we take it. And, and I think one of the main things is, um, he should feel uncomfortable for a while. Yeah. That's how it should be. Yeah. Um, because I think it's a space to, what, what's happening right now also is there is a lot more awareness as to the privilege that we've had. And I, I think I, for, for change, I'm not a person who's afraid of that word. I, we all have certain privileges according to who we are. I, I'm a, you know, la, fair-skinned Latina. I don't have black skin. I always say that, like, I cannot know what it is to have that extra layer. Yes. Um, I can only imagine, you know, and, and have empathy for, because as a woman and a Latino woman, I understand certain things, right. but in that position where you barely have had any yes. you know, conflict <laughs> society-wise, you really have to do the work and feel uncomfortable for a minute. And yeah, and I know that's happening to, I know that's happening a lot in this country. Again, it's very different from my countries to, to different realities. But I do feel is it's an interesting time because fear is is a messenger as well, if if we want to take it that way. Oh, I love that phrase, fear is a messenger. Yeah, I think ah. so. Oh my so. gosh. That's I was like, that's a remarkable turn of phrase. I was like, I, wanna, I was like, I want to embroider that on the pillow. If you want to listen to it and turn it into something else, what are you going to turn it into? Anger, or are you going to turn it into empathy? Mm-hmm. There's a moment there. There's like a fork, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and I think the society we're not necessarily doing a great job with that. <laughs> <laughs> we are also not doing a great job of you know choosing great leaders in this world either. So, oh boy, yeah, and there's in a way what you were talking about that it sparked you to create and that in essence there were certain things that were outside of your control um as things often are but that you reached for the things that you could control like your creative output and that that has so much to do with like how to foster empathy like we foster empathy a lot through the media that we consume through our creations and it's like in a way I mean it sounds very idealistic but I at least think that like, if you can just affect one person, 
<laughs> like with each thing you create, if like one person is like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Or, oh, I haven't felt that feeling before. Oh, I felt uncomfortable, but then I was okay. Yeah. Like if you can guide at least one person through that, through your creations, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That actually is what, you know, will build empathy because people tend to turn to the arts for that. I, I agree. And uh, like the script that I was worked that I'm, I finished, by the way, <laughs> I'm excited. About. Yay, congratulations. Um, it's, it's precisely about those type of things is, I mean, we're talking about many things here, but it's kind of healing through, through that type of work. And I, I wrote a piece about a Dominican woman who is in a marriage and whose marriage is going south because he, the husband wants a child and she doesn't. Mm. And, and so it was a way of exploring things that for many years were so uncomfortable for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I fit in and what's wrong with me and um, pretty much things that we are conditioned to believe. But when you are from my culture, even more so because that you're, you're not a mother, you're, you're not fulfilled, you're not a full woman. And, and we all, I mean, right. I think as women, we, we have been conditioned to feel that way for so long. And, and that was a reality, a reality that I lived through in, uh, when I was married. And, and so many, many years later, I'm exploring that, but I'm also doing it because I'm trying to write roles that are not usually giving to people of color mm -hmm. um you know i'm usually the maid or whatever cliche which is fine pays a job but it's not all that we are right and it did get to me like how come universal stories are usually told to white people you know mm -hmm. this is my marriage story right and they just happen to be from another culture and so uh, I don't know why I mixed it. I think because we were talking about being uncomfortable and creating and, and that's a part of what I'm creating now as well is, is kind of moving into the direction of writing and directing uh, because that's I feel cool. like those are voices that are needed behind the scenes. I'm a, such a big advocate for women and women of color um, behind the camera. Yes, because the, oh gosh, I was talking to a photographer about this, about well, I mean, the difference between like the male and female gaze, really. Um, and exactly like you're talking about, like telling a marriage story that is not a marriage story from the point of view of either a white man or a white couple. Mm -hmm. um, and, the, you know, even like thinking about that, I was like, oh, we have so many stories that are heterosexual stories in our culture. And there's not that many stories that are actually like from queer culture that are yeah. that are not as a, what did one of my friends dub it? they said something really funny about the fact that like all queer stories are always like some sort of like tragedy. Like there's never like a, there's never a story uh, where, like, yeah. and then, you know, they were gay and it was fine. First of all, it's funny because in my, in my script, my best friend and his husband are a couple, I mean, they're, they're, they have a role in it. Um, mm -hmm. They're a beautiful gay couple and they happen to have the more stable relationship. <laughs> excellent <laughs> but they're struggling with with the rejection of their family in the Dominican Republic so that I'm also exploring that um and and since you mentioned that there's not as many stories that are queer stories um let me plug in a show from some friends of mine yes in Amsterdam because I was a guest star in season two it's a show called and plus mm -hmm. Streaming, I believe it's streaming now on Netflix in 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 this in the U.S. and in Canada. Surely it's streaming somewhere. Um, and it's funny because I met them at Tribeca, mm -hmm. and uh, and I loved it. And I just told them, "Look, you write the way I do. It's like this is a story of a woman who's exploring her life, and she just happens to be gay. In my case, mm -hmm. she just happens to be Latina, but it's mm -hmm. not what defines." The story right and so unplus is the story of this young woman kind of um searching for herself and while she does that she's having the most fun in amsterdam and uh just she just happens to be a lesbian and you know it, and it's a beautiful fun kind of sex in the city-ish in amsterdam it was created by these young queer women in amsterdam they were trying to 
create stories that were not like you said always marked by tragedy and mm-hmm. like we're just we're having fun in our 20s can we just tell that story can and they tell the story of actually having fun i care about this seeing different perspectives of things and if it's like, let's say a TV show, I'm hoping there's a very diverse writing room there so that it's not one-sided and that people are informed about other cultures' experiences. But one of my favorite films the, um, is, is Sense and Sensibility, and it's directed by <laughs> Ang Lee. <laughs> yes. And I don't think there's a yes. more British film ever. Yes. <laughs> and, and so, you know, or Tarantino, the way he writes black characters, I, I'm, or Spike Lee, the way he writes Italian, I am just interested in, in quality. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Like, because my very favorite, I mean, the thing that I will watch over and over again is Twin Peaks. I will watch. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will. And there are problematic aspects of that show, but I will. I see something that is beautiful yeah. and horrible every time I watch that show. And I, I don't even know how many times I've watched through it now, which is funny for someone who doesn't sit still for more than 10 minutes. <laughs> it's like I, there's something I, about it. I haven't seen the new version. I saw the the original. Oh, season three is it has such a different tenor to it. Like it still is like the world of Twin Peaks, but it's more, um, okay, that was going to sound so California. I was like, meditate. It's very, it's, it's very like, it clearly is informed by years and years of meditation and unconscious work. Like there's so much in it that at first I was like, why didn't he edit more of this? And then I understood that I was like, oh, this is actually some of the stuff that does come up when you really are getting deep into like unconscious uh, kind of unraveling of narrative. And so I found it fascinating. And there were certain episodes, like I don't want to, I mean, you can't spoil Twin Peaks because like it's Twin Peaks, but. um, But I'll get into it. And you know, it didn't sound, well, maybe it sounds California, but again, as someone who had a serious crisis of insomnia, I can tell you that meditation saved my life. Excellent. I I too have insomnia and I'm like, what form of meditation did you practice? Because that's very good to know. I, it's, I can't even say that it was very conscious. I, I found an app Mm. and, and I started from scratch because I didn't even know how to do that. I'm like, what is this? I need something. I've heard that this helps. And I did it in autopilot for some, for so long because I didn't understand that. I thought this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, until just by doing it, <laughs> yep. just by doing it in repetition without intellectualizing it too much, um, I found it to be, um, well, transformative. Yeah. It allowed me to, to survive those months of chronic insomnia I had mm-hmm. and, um, and not to jump out the window. <laughs> right. I'm so sorry that you too suffer from insomnia because it's a very surreal thing to be like, no, I'd like to rest And your brain is like, would you like to research aardvarks? And you're like, no, I I would not. And your brain's like, well, you're gonna, (laughs) and you're like, no, I want to go to sleep. Um, but like, (laughs) yeah, of anxiety, but, but I've, but I had it really bad. And, and so I really had to explore it deeply. Like I'm doing cognitive therapy is on that level excellent like I mean not excellent that they've got that no, no, I know. excellent that you're like doing that intervention because I was like that's in regards yeah. to anxiety it's so interesting that a lot of it it speaks really to such a powerful and imaginative mind because if you can think of all the ways that something can go horribly awry you can also probably think of like the converse like you can fantasize about all the ways that things could go like horribly beautifully Oh, that's so that's so nice for you to put it that way. Um, I must be so dark because <laughs> I, I don't even have children. Why am I thinking so much about the ocean going, you know, dry and the the, the water situation that we're having the third world war? <laughs> because you have empathy. You have empathy for others. Like, given all that you're creating, I was like, that speaks to a wellspring of empathy there. Which is why I'm watching Chits Creek right now and 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 trying not to think so much about things that make me anxious because that show is like comfort food. I love that show. It's like comfort food. But my comfort my real, real comfort place is curb your enthusiasm. 
That is so funny. Counting <laughs> the weeks or whatever it is until next season, but <gasps> but I, I I hadn't seen Chicks Creek and and now I'm watching it and I'm having a lot of fun. Watching. Oh my gosh! Well, and delving into stories like. I did really like what you said that you're like, I hope that there's a diverse cast. I hope that there's a diverse writer's room. But when it comes down to it, it's like stories are what foster empathy in a way. Mm. At least that's how I conceptualize it, where it's like, if you can witness someone else's story, you can see, oh, this person's experience might be different than mine, but that's not threatening. Like when we were talking about like people being resistant to change and, you know, feeling that fear it's knowing that like someone else can have a different experience and you can relate to it even if it's not your experience and to know that that doesn't negate your experience essentially correct, correct. yeah and so well, witnessing we, stories is like really powerful you we humans we complicate everything <laughs> so simple <laughs> I'm like it could be so easy and instead we're doing like 12 bazillion things that's <laughs> like... <laughs> here we are I guess we're so complex we have to make everything so difficult <laughs> always I'm always looking for like oh what's a uh, what's the phrase called it's Occam's razor where it's like always looking for like what is the simplest explanation where it's like I think that's the only reason why, like when, when you're talking about like, why do people feel this anger or why, you know, like the Trumpists and like things like that. I think about like with conspiracy theorists, like the reason why, like I could never fall victim to that in a way is that I'm like, have you ever worked on a group project? Like no one can keep it secret. No one can keep it together. I'm like, I don't think that that's what's happening because like, have you ever tried to, I don't know, like write a research paper with like three people? It doesn't go well. And so it's like, I'm like, okay, that's not the way, but like tapping into like, what's the emotion behind that? It's like, oh, you're looking for something that makes this make sense. You're looking for a sense of control. You're looking because you feel out of control. Like, oh, you're looking for a story. Absolutely. You hit it on the nail. I think that's that part of it. It's funny because I always say that I'm like, you know, I'm very good individually with people. I don't know. I don't belong to many groups. And when I do, I always have limits to it. Um, because I think it just, it does changes, uh, it, it changes the experience overall because it's too many heads and too many opinions and many egos in the same place. So, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. That is, I can't wait, by the way, like, I was like, I want to actually see the film that you wrote. I was just like, I want to witness that just as a story because it's so rare. Like when you're talking, especially about like, maybe not getting cast because of your age or things like that. Like that really spoke to me and that like, we're close to the same age. Mm -hmm. And I've certainly been observing, um, I'm rather petite. Um, I'm basically a, you know, small white Jewish girl. Mm -hmm. um, and people perceive me sometimes as younger. And then I open my mouth and they're like, oh no, oh wait, hold up. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And perceiving the difference almost as, a, I don't know how to put it other than, as women age, we just grow more powerful and interesting. And that seems to freak people out. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know that it freaks people out, but it certainly, it, it, the system is designed for us not to be, to have power. And, and, and it's funny because I grew up, I guess, being always very open-minded in terms of feminist issues. But I, in, in the times that I grew up, feminist was like a curse it was a bad word mm. and so I did have a feminist mentality but I always thought I'm not a feminist I do believe in equality and I believe women can do whatever we want and we should be able to have rights but I'm not a feminist right <laughs> yeah so yep. it took me forever to get out of my head this idea of this conditioning that feminists were this raging man-hater <laughs> you know right teachers and be like no 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 these are humans who have lived through a system yep. <laughs> that has tried to make them invisible and and I have so much uh respect for that movement and so I do feel um that we've been we've been conditioned to think that we are crazy when we get to this age and think that and it's like no no we are able to observe it and now live through it. Exactly, exactly. And that's, 
Uh, I love what you said about that, because for a long time, I felt very similarly where though I did identify as a feminist, I always would be like, oh, but I'm not that kind of feminist. I'm a nice. At least you said that. I was, I was, I'm not a feminist. You know, I know how, no way. Yeah. Now I have such a different, um, I I don't like labels per se, but I think some labels are necessary at some point in history because of whatever it's happening. Right. Um, And so I I do use it proudly. (laughs) Yes. I, I feel similarly in that at the very least, I feel like labels help you one, identify your values, but also potentially signal to someone else like, Hey, I'm on team. Um, or it's like, you're okay here. Like how you were talking about how to be, you know, how to learn more about allyship. Yes. Yes. Um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. And, 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 for some of us, it's so easy and, and we're in the right circles and, and surrounded by diversity. But in some cases, that's not that's not the situation, you know. And so right. I, I understand that I understand how it can go lead to resistance, basically. See how I'm, I'm forgetting English. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's so interesting that you speak like I wish that I were fluent in different languages. That's the thing is, like I said, I have this like weird melange of... Well, because everybody speaks English. It's a little, you see, from necessity. I'm writing from necessity. Well, you don't have the necessity. Why? Most of the time, it doesn't push you to. So it's understandable. Yes, um, and like, it's very strange because I think that particularly there's a potency in having a different language that's not English because English it kind of reminds me of like a universal converter where it's like yeah you can plug stuff into it and it works Mm -hmm. um and English I do think can be a very evocative language um but English is sort of just like a a schmush of the other languages um (laughs) and so it's like (laughs) yeah I think it's a transaction it's like the language of transactions yeah let's go to cut to the chase Spanish is long and so many terms for a week. (laughs) (laughs) A different type of music, for sure. Um, I wish I could speak other languages other than the two that I speak. Like, I I speak a little bit of French Mm -hmm. um, because I studied when I was in in high school. Mm -hmm. I I went to the French Alliance for two years. So I I have a very basic French, and I wish I had continued it. You have no Mm -hmm. idea how much I, I wish... So I understand your your yearning for sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you um, so I much for joining me. So much. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. (laughs) 